0: Welcome to episode 25 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio by my good friend and the man who is considering starting a second career in horticulture, John Scott Sloat. I'm always considering a second career,
1: Matt. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my secret. You know, the Hulk's always angry. I'm always considering a second
0: career. Yes, yes. Or at <laughs> least a side hustle. Yeah, a side hustle. Yeah, you kind. are a millennial, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> So how's how's the uh, how's the last week been since we since we recorded what's going on in the in the the life of John Sloat? Goodness. Um did
1: uh, did some did a uh, did some tiling this weekend? Did a backsplash I for a friend? That. Yes. yes. Uh, so that was it was good to work with the hands again, uh get that done, uh continue to water and grow grass. Yes. Um and you're you're encouraged by what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. So it's starting to grow a little bit thicker. You know, it's starting to those Thin blades are spreading out. Not that okay. I want to get into minutiae of my grass-growing <laughs> escapades. We need to
0: get pictures up on Facebook. We kind of mentioned that last week and didn't follow through. We'll, so. we'll get there. We'll okay. get there.
1: And then, uh, and then we finished a book at uh, Book Club this week, or at we uh, Reading Group. Yes. Sorry, I don't want to call it Book
0: Club. No. Reading Group this no. week. No. Yeah, that was good. We finished, uh, uh, is it Daniel Firth? Da- it David. David. David Firth. Firth is the last name we know, including The Stranger. Very, so. very good. Excellent. One of the one of the best ones that I've read in that series. Just very helpful in terms of understanding the uh, former prophets. So Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Yeah. And how uh, how was your Father's Day? Well, I'm going to save that.
1: Okay. Uh, for later in the show. Can you give me just an overall sort of impression? It was very good. It was, it was very, very good. good. Okay. Yes,
0: indeed. Yes, indeed. And um, so. I, I can't top the backsplash uh that 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 you helped put up, but I did some around the house projects and as anyone who knows me uh I I have no skills or affinity towards those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. I was very proud of the fact that I was able to replace the screen in the screen door to our deck. Oh in the back porch. Yes. So oh, okay. it had some some holes in it from our beloved dog, Luther, who is no longer with us, and mm. so replaced the screen in that. So I was uh, pleased that I was able to pull off that task with with minimal frustration and no injuries. Okay. So. To, to you or others? Yes, correct. And how, how is the tree doing in the backyard? The tree is doing well. There was a branch that was damaged in the shipment, and so I, I, I'm I not optimistic that branches, that little branch is going to survive, but... The other branches are showing great health and new growth, some sprouts and some new leaves and that sort of thing. So uh, I've been watering it um, zealously, hmm. and so I, it's paid off. And then last night, are good, you good are soaking you, rain?
1: Are you enjoying the green thumb moment? Are you enjoying the the you know restraining the creative order here? <laughs> you know,
0: exercising dominion. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm so far I am because okay. I'm seeing growth. I'm also not a green thumb, so the fact that this tree seems to be taking off reasonably well is encouraging. and um, It's good for you to get out of the ivory tower every now and then yeah, and get your hands started, right. you know? that's right. So, <laughs> in any case, um, we'd love for you to uh, reach out and connect with us. You can do so on Twitter, at V and S pod. We are also uh, available by email, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. And we have a Facebook page, Various and Sundry Podcasts, so we encourage you to connect with us there. And, of course, one of the most helpful things you can do for us is to leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. Glowing reviews only, please. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, no new reviews this week, but we had a burst last week of like four or five. So it's all right that we didn't have any this past week. We can wait. Um,
1: Yeah. And, uh, like always, share the episode on social media, wherever you see it, whether it 's on Twitter, whether it 's on Facebook, that way more people can learn about the show and uh, and join
0: the conversation, especially with your international friends, because our our goal <laughs> is ultimately to uh, take over the world, essentially yes. <laughs> with this podcast and so this is you know stage one of our plan for global domination Sorry. and we've expanded into several countries in Europe and uh we've we've connected in the Philippines and Australia and yeah, Uruguay, we sort of
1: have one off listeners in some of those places, but I think we have a pretty consistent consistent listener in Ireland if, yeah. if, if I'm remembering correctly
0: and Australia a good number of downloads there. yeah good number
1: of downloads in Australia, which is so, odd because I don't think either of us have super close friends in any of
0: those places. Shout out to our friends uh, around the world and uh, we appreciate you listening and if you want to share the uh, Share the joy of listening to the Various and Sundry podcast in your country or neighboring countries. We would welcome it. With a couple we've of got, Midwestern Americans. That's right. We've got <laughs> two of the three Scandinavian countries. We've got Finland I and Norway. We have, and we're missing Sweden. We're missing Sweden. So if, if you have a friend in Sweden, <laughs> if you could do us a solid and get them to download it, it would be great. So so John, what's going on in the world of sports? Uh, well, last last week,
1: I would say, and over the weekend, uh, Major League Baseball and the Players Association were going back and forth um, all week with various proposals. Uh, there were moments where they're like, oh, we're close. And then there were moments where people were leaving the table disgusted. It was, so, it was sort of up in the air. Yeah. And frankly, it felt like a lot of messaging and PR moves sure. to try to get it, the public on their side. Yeah. And frankly, I can't tell who's winning. But uh, the players rejected the owner's most recent proposal. And so the commissioner has now come in and says, I'm going to force you to play 60 games this year. Yeah. Um, it looks like uh, they're going to start spring training uh, July 1, which is very exciting. So that's just a couple weeks away. Yeah. And, uh, and the regular season is going to start end of that month, 24th. So uh, we will have some baseball you know, knock, knock on some wood, but, but uh, we'll have some baseball. Uh, and I think the bigger question is, what does this mean for the negotiations between the Players Union and uh, Major League Baseball next year when they're trying to uh, write up a CBA? So yeah. that should be a dumpster fire, and uh, we'll be following it closely here <laughs> at uh, at the Various and Sundry uh, Sports Network. So
0: <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. We've also got some... Uh, uh, NBA news in terms of the plan. The, the plan is still moving forward from what I understand. Is that correct? But there's still yep. a lot of uh, uncertainty on the player end when it comes to um, the willingness of players to participate and safety concerns, and in particular, the whole quarantine piece of like, we're going to get, I saw some number of something like 1,500 People total by the time you get teams, support staff, and even just the like hotel workers and you know food services and all these sorts the media of media down and, there. Yeah, yeah. Though I, I bet there won't be much media down there. I, I, I mean. Well, they're
1: going to need some cameramen and some different, some different right. things like that. Certainly, you right. could do lots of things from from
0: a home station and watch the game on television. Correct. Right. Correct. So, so it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. And uh, there's a growing concern about college football as more and more players uh, are are testing positive for COVID as they've yeah. returned to workouts, and so that's an interesting dynamic when it comes to the uh, trying to sort that out. There's I read different stories, and on the one hand, some some stories are like, "Yeah, we're going to start August 29th and have a full schedule, just not you know full stadiums." And then I see other stories where behind the scenes, you know, officials at different conferences are saying, I'm not sure we're going to play it all this fall versus yeah. maybe we'll push it back into the spring. That, that,
1: that idea of not playing football has really been growing. I think the f- first person I heard say it was Kirk Herbstreet at mm-hmm. that uh, ESPN. And he said it probably a month or two ago. And he's gone underground. Like yeah, I just haven't heard from the guy because that opinion was just so so unpopular. Right. That that he's in hiding, you know. Um and uh, and but now you're seeing some more voices come out and begin to
0: say, actually, maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've also heard, you know, sort of hybrid plans of starting later in September, getting rid of the non conference schedule, just playing conference games, all sorts of things. So well,
1: well, and then I've heard I saw an interview with uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci this week, who said, "I don't know if NFL is going to be able to start, you know, at, at their normal time." And I'm thinking, well, what about baseball and basketball? Why, <laughs> why, why can't football start in the fall? Okay. But for whatever reason, baseball and basketball can get going.
0: I don't know. It's so it's so interesting. I don't know. And then you had President Trump saying. um, Basically, to the NFL, you can safely ignore Dr. Fauci and, and just run along now. Just keep moving forward. He's not, he's not going to shut down the NFL. So. No. So. <laughs> Who knows? What a world we live in, John Sloat.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating world. And that's, that's what I'm going to say about it for now. That's all I'm
0: going to say. Well, I mean, just stop to think about this. I mean, 2020, what a crazy year. And that's when this podcast started. Like, when we started this podcast, the world was essentially normal, Right.
1: For the most part, I think three weeks, three, four weeks into the podcast, we started covering coronavirus.
0: Yeah, we were on the front end. We front started end of that.
1: talking about it mostly because I had a trip to Correct. Taiwan coming up and yeah. we were, I think, just fascinated that this could cancel the trip or right. significantly alter the trip. Yeah. Ultimately, cancel the trip. I don't think we ever f- foresaw it. No. Wiping out sports, <laughs> no. or or a good portion of our economy, or yeah. canceling church services around the globe. I mean, we're going to look back at this piece of church history, this time this time period, and go, "Goodness, there was there was a four week period where just about every church in the world stopped." Stopped.
0: Yeah, crazy. which I'm not sure has ever happened before. I wouldn't think so, not on that scale. But um, well, moving on to something that. Also, I don't know if we can – I don't think we can blame this on COVID, but something that has also not uh, moved forward according to our plans is that we had intended to read through the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland as part mm-hmm. of our sort of summer programming here on Various and Sundry. And so we went ahead and announced that now, what? three weeks, three, four weeks ago, Three probably. or four
1: weeks ago. Yeah, we had been intending to read it at, I think, this point.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then we discovered that, um, now, we can't confirm that it was our podcast that absolutely made this an impossible book to get, but we'd like to think so, right? We'd, yeah. we'd, we'd like to think that the power of Various and Sundry Podcasts No, it, it definitely
1: was us. has yeah.
0: absolutely created a scarce resource. And so yeah. uh, we have decided that we are going to start our discussion of this on the episode that we'll release in uh, the first week of July. So probably July 7th, which is when we'd be scheduled to release a podcast that week of that, that Tuesday. And so it's not available in, on Amazon or uh, on ChristianBook.com, but it appears to be in stock at Uh, crossway the publisher so if you go to crossway.org you should be able to order it directly from the publisher and get it Mm -hmm. if you want to go ahead and read along with us there are also of course digital versions even though amazon doesn't have hard copies of course if you wanted to go the kindle route or other digital formats you can go that route as well and read along with us and
1: I know we have a listener who works for a book distributor uh, a tree of life bookstore And I'm wondering if that listener could get a hold of some copies for some of our listeners. That's a
0: big ask, Um, but uh, if you want to reach out, I know he has a copy. I know he has a copy. (laughs) Yes, he he mentioned it on uh, Twitter. So, anyway, our intention is to go ahead and um, to start discussing that. Really, it it probably will end up happening just the week of July, uh, the month of July. Uh, I think that'll map out to probably about three or four episodes where we take at least part of the episode and talk about it and we have something very exciting that we're not ready to announce yet okay in connection with gentle and lowly okay i so was ready to announce it you're then. ready to announce it yeah yeah i was ready to announce it you want to announce it it's on the it's on the calendar or do you want to build it let's let's wait till next episode <sighs> okay let's build the okay. anticipation we will have a major <laughs> major <laughs> announcement about gentle and lowly Coming up next episode. Now we better follow through, because now, now we got to do it. Yeah, <laughs> you better not forget. So so we are ready now to move on to our uh, main topic for today. And uh, last week we talked about teaching. and so we thought, really, you thought, and I agreed, so I want to give you credit for oh, thank you. suggesting that maybe in light of that discussion, that we should actually talk this week about preaching. So both of us are in the the ministry world, although neither of us serve as pastors. And neither of us have served as Correct. pastors at any, at any point. Correct. Yeah. We are uh, obviously deeply invested in ministry, in theological education, and preaching is something that is important to us and is important to the life of the Church. Mm-hmm. And so we thought it might be uh, helpful for us to talk about preaching a little bit, and so... Um, let's maybe start with this. When you think of what is it that makes good preaching? Like as you think about characteristics, I'm not asking for a definition here, but as you think about when you're looking for what are some characteristics that demonstrate that preaching is good? So what what comes to mind when you think about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I usually think of uh, something that, that as the preacher is working through a particular passage that I can see that, it, that what he is preaching naturally rises up out of that text. Okay. Um, if he's working through uh, a section of Paul's letters, something that rises up naturally and something where he turns that and points uh, to Jesus Christ and shows him as glorious and beautiful. Um, that the, that's the other element those are probably the two main elements I'm looking for okay. show me Christ is beautiful let this rise up naturally out of the text those are probably those are probably the two main things um, that I'm that I'm concerned with as I'm, mm-hmm. as I'm listening to good preaching and one of those um, you would call uh, raising affections for Christ which I which mm-hmm. I actually think is something you pull from Jonathan Edwards probably mm-hmm. yep uh, and uh, and so that's the I got that from you I've, I've picked that up from from discussions with you over the years
0: um well, well, yeah. what are you looking for beyond those things sure and uh I'll, I'll just mention in passing i and i don't think you're saying this but i want to make sure our listeners don't hear this I, that's not unique to me in terms of that goal of raising affections maybe that sure. expression particularly um i don't know where i picked that up or if i sort of crystallized that but in any case um just wanting to clarify that that we're not claiming that I created that idea or anything like that. So, sure, except um, for the trademark, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I want know, the trademark yeah, on the yeah. phrase. So, step off if you're going to start. You know, pay him money, money anytime it, yeah. you use it. Yes. Exactly. But uh, in addition to those two areas of sort of faithfulness to the text and raising affections, I think there needs to be a prescriptive, not merely a descriptive, force. To the message. Such that it's not just merely describing what the Bible says mm-hmm. and then just leaving it there. But there needs to be a prescriptive, a call for a response. There needs to be a call for the listener to respond in some way. Because this is ultimately God speaking through scripture, not just a, well, the ancient, you know, the ancient early church believed this. Isn't that interesting? Kind of thing, as if we're just m- merely doing description, right? Yeah. As if we're doing nothing different than describing ancient Egyptian religion. So, so when I hear
1: you say that that there needs to be a prescriptive element, part of me is hearing that the the preacher is preaching and then says, therefore, go do this. Is that what you're talking about, or is it? Is there more nuance than that?
0: Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't narrow it down just to do this. Okay. I would say therefore this is how you should respond. Because I think our response is broader than just do this. In okay, terms of f- flesh this, that out a little bit. Well, and here comes the shameless plug for my book Asking the Right Questions, because this gets into the application piece of mm. of personal application of scripture, but also thinking about preaching. Is that um, when we think of application, I think you need to take into account what does God want me to think or understand? Mm-hmm. So there's a content piece there. There's a, what is it that God wants me to understand about him, about the world, about me, et cetera. Then there's a, the, the second one is, what does God want me to believe or to put my trust in, to put my hope in, to put my confidence in? That That's moving from the realm of there's truth in a sort of intellectual context to a, what is it that I'm actually going to, base my life on in terms of beliefs. Sure. Okay. And then third would be, uh, what does God uh, want me to desire? Hmm. So getting a little bit of that affections piece, what does God want me to long for? What does God not want me to long for? And that touches on the emotions piece. Yeah. But it's deeper than that. It's It gets at inclinations and desires and, and attitudes, uh, sort of uh, questions to sort of think about. And then finally, based on all of that, what does God want me to do? Hmm. Because if you just have actions and they're not rooted in those uh, deeper level transformations of what does God want me to think, believe, and feel, you're in a very real danger of creating Pharisees who conform external behavior to certain standards but have no heart transformation. But
1: have nothing internal that's that's churning out those desires and actions. Correct.
0: So when I talk about... uh, uh, Good preaching being prescriptive, it should call for a response that that touches on those different elements. Not every message has to hit all four of those, mm-hmm. but um, I, I want to be clear that good preaching doesn't just have the. Therefore, here's three things to do this
1: week. So, so just as an example, if you're preaching through uh, Ephesians one three to fourteen, where where it's discussing. Uh, what God has done in salvation, what Jesus has done in salvation, what the Holy Spirit has done in salvation. Um, w- one response that the preacher could call for is, worship God. Look, look how lovely
0: this is, even though you were mired in sin. L- worship God. Look how beautiful this is. Yeah. yeah. Be intentional about turning your thoughts away from the lesser things of this world that capture your affections and turn them instead to these greater realities. Take your mind off the... You know, small <clears throat> by comparison, the, the the difficulties and frustrations of this world, and turn your attention, your mind's thoughts, your your feelings, towards the greater spiritual realities that God has accomplished for us through His Son Jesus. So, is there a do piece in that? Well, well it could end up being something like that. Of, I need to be intentional about reminding myself. So. Once a day, I'm going to read back through Ephesians one this week yeah. to get that in my brain again. So that's a that's an action, but I, I want to make sure that we're not just getting into the "here are three things you do this week" kind of mentality of application. It's almost
1: um, it's and the we're, I'm going off script a little bit here, but uh, <laughs> the, the, there's almost a. Uh, call toward self-control over your emotions and your attitudes uh, about what they find desirous in this world and
0: turning them toward God. Absolutely. And I believe that that's part of the, what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. That yeah. When you look at Philippians two twelve and 13, where it describes how we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and then Paul says, "...for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure." So, part of what the Spirit does in us is to give us the right desires—desires hmm. desires for good things, holy things, righteous things—that become so strong that they overcome natural sinful desires for evil things. I think we—I I
1: think it was a former pastor we had who said this was the uh, expulsive power of a new uh, of a new beauty, maybe.
0: Yes, uh, and he was getting that from Thomas Chalmers, okay. an ancient Puritan. So, there.
1: so, so, f- instead of just saying "Don't do this, don't do this, don't do right. this, don't do this," it's finding Christ so beautiful that we're more drawn to
0: Him than we are this other thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, there, there, there definitely needs to be an element of that I think in good preaching, and uh, you know, even as as I've had opportunity to to teach preaching in various contexts, um, you know, one of the one of the pitfalls that students fall into as they're learning to preach is they think of the message as essentially a, an exegetical lecture. Now's the time where I tell you all the cool things I learned about this text. And obviously there has to be elements of that in a, in a message. Otherwise you're just sort of, you know, riffing to your own, you know, desires in terms of what you want to talk about. But, um, Making sure that there is a um, that there's an element that is recognizing that these are god's words spoken to god's people today, and there needs to be a response in light of that hmm. uh,
1: any anything else that goes into good
0: preaching that, that, that well, comes to mind I, I think both of us are are uh, committed to well, what's often referred to as expositional preaching, yes, which is often contrasted with topical preaching. So just to give a, a basic distinction, expositional preaching is an attempt, uh, is a form of preaching that seeks to expose the mm-hmm. meaning and the significance of a text. And so that's kind of a, a basic definition. Whereas, Uh, I'll I'll expand on that in a minute. Whereas topical preaching tends to be more of, here are three principles for this topic, you know, or it might be, um, we're going to do a series on prayer. And so prayer should be in private. So there's a whole message on prayer in private, and you pull a whole bunch of different texts and organize them according to some sort of structure that you make. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, Expository preaching traditionally is working through a book of the Bible sequentially. Okay, we're going to look at the first six verses this week, and then next week we'll look at the next eight because that's the literary unit. And then the next week, you know, we'll look at a whole chapter or things like that. So you're sequentially preaching through books of the Bible or extended passages of the Bible. So I think that one of the most helpful definitions of expository preaching that I uh, I'm aware of came from my own preaching professor, Mike Bullmore at Trinity, and he used to define it as essentially uh, expositional preaching is when the content, intent, and structure of the passage shapes or determines the content, intent, and structure of the message. Yeah. So it sets guardrails on what you're going to talk about. That's
1: so different from what we normally hear, right? Um, how do you craft the message? How do you do this? How do you how do you how do you build this? But but when you do that,
0: it allows the scripture to actually guide your message. Correct, correct. And for me, one of the eye-opening pieces of that was was not just content, but the the two last pieces of the intent. Mm-hmm. Is this passage intended to encourage, to warn, to like inform to remind, like thinking in terms of those categories. Mm-hmm. That it's not not just sort of informational, but more there's a there's a there's a thrust behind it. Why is God saying what He's saying here? And then structure that meaning is often communicated by structure in the biblical text. And so, while there are certainly exceptions to this, there absolutely should be a sense in which the the structure of the passage shapes or determines the structure of the message, because the structure often reveals to you what are the main emphases in the text, rather than just reading through a passage and and, and thinking, ooh, I'm really interested in predestination, and this passage mentions predestination. Well, that may not be the main point of the text. Yeah. It might be used as a sort of Corollary, or as a sort of supporting argument to something else, but you get latched onto your pet topic there, and you build this whole message out of out of that one word or phrase, and ignore most of the rest of the passage. That's not really expository preaching,
1: and and you might even be right. You know, you, you, right. you, w- might, you, say you might have that category com- correct. Completely are things. Yeah,
0: incorrect uh, incorrect text uh, to, in order yeah. to prove that point. Yeah, so um, when you think about the contrast between expositional preaching and, and topical preaching. Um, what are some of the benefits that you think of in terms of expositional preaching for both the church or even the, the preacher and the pastor? Yeah. What, what are some of those, if someone says to you, I'm not sure about this, tell me what good things come out of expositional preaching?
1: Well, well so, some of the benefits are uh, y- you are able to read the books and make your way through the letters of the New Testament or the books of the Old Testament as they were intended to be read, right? Uh, uh, going, going straight through them, you're not missing anything. Uh, you, uh, it, keeps, it keeps you from avoiding difficult passages. Yes. And uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, it allows things to come up naturally. Um, when you're just like, well— I'm going to pick this topic and kind of run after it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that could be um, something that you're running after that that may not be helpful to your people, or somebody may feel uh, particularly targeted um, yeah. yep. in, in, your, uh, in your congregation or your church. Whereas with expositional preaching, you're just sort of walking through, um, and you just go, well, I picked the book, and we're, we're making our way through it, and this is what's come up. Sure. Uh, and particularly when working through Paul's letters, Those are written to real New Testament churches that that exist. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is a number of the problems that they had are similar to the problems that we have uh, in the life of the church. Sure, it looks a little bit different, Mm -hmm. uh, but they are very similar. And so so that's that's one of the benefits, right, is we're working through and seeing problems in these churches that we're having in our own churches and how Paul dealt with those. Correct, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think um, this is my way of saying it, perhaps more sharply than it should be said. But oh my, my, my general, yes, uh, hot take alert here. But my general conclusion is that expositional preaching allows the Bible to set the agenda. Topical preaching allows the preacher to set the agenda. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a dangerous thing. A steady diet of topical preaching where the preacher is setting the agenda. I think it becomes very easy for all of the uh blind spots and all of the hobby horses of the preacher to be on full display. Yeah. And to avoid difficult subjects, difficult texts because you just never choose to preach on them. Whereas if you're working through books of the Bible, inevitably topics come up where you're like I I have to say something about this. I have to try to explain what God says about this difficult topic. And um, this is not to say that there should never be topical preaching, but I do remember having a professor in seminary who would say, it's okay to preach a topical sermon once or twice a year and then repent immediately afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) And he was joking, but it it got the point across of— yeah, I can see some scenarios where it's appropriate to preach topically, and but as a steady diet, it should not be what you're feeding God's people. And I, I would argue that not all topical
1: sermons are created equal. Correct. Um, so, uh, for instance, I've been a part of churches that have done a topical series, as we looked at uh, the the role of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? And yep. so we'll take John chapter three and preach through that passage. About the Spirit. It's topical, but it's also expositional because it's looking at a singular
0: passage. Correct. So the, so the broad topic has been determined by something other than the biblical text. Mm-hmm. Yet, even once you've identified, our church needs to have a better understanding of the Holy Spirit. Admirable, great, important, wonderful. But then when you start to, to, to think through, okay, so what should these four messages, six messages, whatever number you're going to do, what should they look like? Instead of just thinking, well, we need, you know, this concept, even if you're going to go there, you need to think, is there a passage where that's the main point of the passage? So then you go preach that passage and use that to emphasize that component of the ministry of the Spirit or something like that. So I do think that there is a way to essentially merge those so that if you feel like we just need focused, directed teaching on this subject in our church— That you can do that oftentimes expositionally by picking key texts that make that the main point of that are the that has that as the main point of the passage. And
1: that feels very different to me than here's
0: here's four ways to be a better dad, or here's
1: four ways to parent your kids, or with
0: one text from Nehemiah, one text from Matthew, one text from Leviticus, and two texts from Ephesians. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. That
0: you've just sort of pulled together. Those feel very different to me. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, let's. We've got a couple more minutes. I think we can talk about this before we need to wrap up. But um, here's a question that always comes up in in seminary classes and and among preachers: is how much should you show your work mm-hmm. in the text? In other words, how much do you sort of pull the curtain back and explain to your hearers how you reached certain decisions or how you came to certain interpretive conclusions? So what are your initial thoughts on that as you kind of hear those discussions? Like how much do you want the preacher to sort of walk you through as a listener? Well, there are four options on this or three out, or this phrase can be understood in, in three different ways. And based on this, I think it should be understood this way.
1: Yeah, I think it depends. Uh,
0: and and I, think, I think the temptation of
1: the seminary student, mm-hmm. and I know this was my temptation in seminary, was yeah. to show all my work all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and truthfully, that, that became more about me in, yes. in, the, in the preaching than, than about me communicating God's word to his people. Um, and so I think, I think that's, that's one pitfall there of, of showing all your work. Right. Um, I, think, I think it depends on the passage. If the passage is contentious or difficult to understand, I think you've got to do a little bit more showing of the work. If it's a little more obvious in the passage as to what the point is, yes. I think there's less
0: work to be done. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I, I agree that the, the, there needs to be a balance struck because here's part of the challenge. For most people who are sitting in church every Sunday or or regularly hearing sermons, they never end up taking a class on how to interpret the Bible. Right. So they learn indirectly by watching the the preacher Mm -hmm. handle texts. Yes. And so as a result of that, I think there is a benefit to strategically sort of pulling that curtain back and saying, here's why I think this is the right way to understand it. Based on this cross-reference or this feature of the text or this uh, consideration, this is why I think you should understand it this way. So there there is a modeling that goes on when it comes to handling text, reading text, supplying text that I think can be helpful on occasion to sort of help your listener understand the process by which you reached a decision or the process by which you got to a point so that they say, I see that and I see Mm -hmm. how he got there and, and I think I could probably do that. Maybe not as well as he can, but I I think I could, I could replicate that at some basic level.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think those are all helpful. Um, One thing that uh, students that we're interacting with regularly, partly because you and I both teach uh, language classes here is, How often should we use the language publicly in
0: our preaching, and should we be using it as we prepare? Well, the answer to the second question is absolutely 100% (laughs) yes, you should be using it when you prepare. The the question about how it shows up in the message is more complicated, because I think far too often well-intentioned individuals want to show their work in the text, and they want to, as a way of sort of building credibility with their hearers, use expressions like, well, in the Greek it says this, or in the Hebrew it says this. And while I'm not opposed, I'm not saying you should never say that. Mm -hmm. I am saying it should be rare, in part because what a steady diet of that produces is a very – disastrous unintended consequence because what that produces ultimately if you get a steady diet of that can be especially among people who haven't had an opportunity to to study is well i apparently can't read the bible right in my in my my english (laughs) translation i can't trust my english translation because every week the pastor's saying well actually in the greek it says this not what your english translation says yeah and so you're Unintentionally creating a distrust in the Bible by repeatedly, well, in the Greek it actually says this. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there are ways to um, navigate that because there are times where, regardless of which trans- English translation you're preaching through consistently, you're going to disagree with maybe how they've translated a phrase or something like that. It happens. And, and languages going from what it's it's very difficult to translate the bible it is it's not
1: one to one equivalency and i think
0: yeah. i think one of the more helpful ways to try to navigate that 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 doesn't undermine trust in english translations is to say if you disagree with say let's say the esv is your standard preaching translation and let's say you think based on your study of the greek text or even working in the commentaries you come to the conclusion I don't think that, that expression was translated the best it could have been. Well, is there another English translation that actually captures the sense that you think is more faithful to the Greek text or the Hebrew yeah. text? And to say something like, actually I think the, you know, the the NIV captures the sense even more clearly when it translates it like this, or I think the New American Standard actually gets the nuance here when it says this. Mhm. To help build rather than destroy trust in English translations. So I think that there's, uh, way, there are ways to do that without making it feel like you're just trying to parade your knowledge yeah. in front of people by referencing Greek and Hebrew. And you don't want to do that
1: because then, then that ultimately becomes about the preacher, not about, not about the hearing of God's word Absolutely. by those people. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, so Doc, uh, what what resources do you recommend on preaching? If, if, if somebody's out there that's like, maybe I want to preach, or maybe I just want to learn more about
0: preaching, mm-hmm. what, what resources do you recommend? Sure. Let me just say, before we give these recommendations, and these are going to be, for, I think many of these people will be recognizable names as we give references. And we, we live in an age where you can go online and listen to almost anybody you want to, in terms of preachers, right? Yeah. So if you're, you know, if you're big fan of Tim Keller, you can go online and find Tim Keller sermons. If you yep. love John Piper, you can do that. But I think it's important to stress that although your local preacher, your the the preacher, the pastor at your church likely does not have the sort of preaching gifts that those men do, they do know you, mm-hmm. and they are well positioned to know your local congregation and to be able to apply the biblical text more tar- in a more targeted fashion to your specific context. So don't don't become one of those people who's like, "Oh gosh, I just I just want to listen to all the famous preachers and sure. and don't sort of submit myself to the to the faithful consistent preaching of God's word by someone who has no reputation outside of their local congregation."
1: Yeah, it, it, I- I would, I would add to that, if, you, if you're a person who enjoys listening to, to preachers from, from around the nation or around the globe, uh, I, I think I would, and, and you find yourself at church on Sunday morning going like, oh my goodness, this guy's, what a hack, you know? Right. Uh, I, I would encourage you to stop yep. listen, listening to so many preachers and begin a discipline of uh, asking, uh, of going through the sermon and going, okay, what, in what ways am I thankful for this message? hmm uh, and how can I respond yeah. to this message? Absolutely. And what is being preached? And, and I think you'll see an affinity grow for your local preacher. Agreed,
0: agreed. And just you know, cut your cut your pastor, uh, you know, some slack. It's Preaching's very difficult, hard, yeah. especially when you're doing it every week. You know, yeah. it's it's
1: hard. You and I have the benefit of dropping in.
0: Yeah. Of yeah. A couple times a year. Yeah, I, I'm in a great situation where, as part of the preaching team at, at our church. I can, you know, as we're talking about preaching series, I'm often asked, well, Matt, what, what passages, what, are there any passages you like to preach in this, in this book or in this series? And mm-hmm. I get to cherry pick the ones that I like or the ones that I've yeah. already preached or the ones that I'm most familiar with. Or sometimes I do get the, this one's really challenging. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe the New Testament prof could help us with this one. Yeah. So in mm-hmm. any case, um, let's work through a couple of these resources real quick. Um, of, I don't know that we have these in any particular order, but we're going to start with with your boy Tim, Tim Keller. Keller, and
1: I did not put him on the list. I will say, yeah, yeah, so that's fair. That's Tim fair. Keller on preaching
0: or preaching. I think again. it's just called preaching. Um, Brian Chapel has written a book called Christ Centered Preaching, which is well known for what the title suggests of how to make the move to Christ, how to connect every passage to the gospel in some legitimate fashion. Yeah, classic text. Yeah. yeah, John Piper's got two there. One is the classic, uh, The Supremacy of God in Preaching. That's been out for probably 25, 30 years at least by now. And then recently published a book called Expository Exaltation. Yeah, I think I just got that. So that's a new book within the last yeah. year, I think, which is a little thicker and probably has more comprehensive uh, yeah. discussion of his approach. And then lastly, uh, Sidney Credonis is well-known for his material on Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. So that would be the starting place, the book Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. But he's also got Preaching Christ from Genesis, Preaching Christ from Ecclesiastes. So he's got yeah. some sort of individual... His stuff
1: is regularly helpful when working through the yeah. Old Testament.
0: I would, I would also add
1: uh, John Stott's preaching book, uh, yep. Between Two Worlds, um, yep, is, is quite good. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: All right, so are we ready to move on to our athlete here, number 25?
1: Sure, sure. Who do you like, or who who do we have? Why don't you,
0: why don't you walk us through? Yeah, so we've been in a bit of a baseball uh, groove here, and, of course, uh, first one there is Barry Bonds. Yeah, polarizing. Very polarizing, indeed. Um, less polarizing and less well-known because he played, you know, 70 years ago almost yeah <laughs> 60 years but he almost ago. played for 25 that's years right. Look at that wow. um a man named Harmon killebrew
1: yeah i hear he was feared at the plate
0: well he hit 573 career home runs that that's nothing to sneeze at yeah
1: he played for 21 years though
0: yeah well still though i mean yeah
1: I, it's hard to hit home runs just like it's hard to preach every yeah week. that was before yeah. the you know the
0: steroid era and that kind of thing so um from the world of the nba vince carter Half man, half amazing.
1: Half man, half amazing. I love Vince Carter. Yeah. He was great.
0: And from the NFL, Richard Sherman. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we're scratching him we're off the list. We're scratching Richard Sherman and off. And then on the on the Ohio State front, two running backs actually from recent, semi recent years. Antonio Pittman was a running back for Ohio State in the mid uh, 2000s 2004, four two thousand six, and then Mike Weber wore. Number 25 for a couple of years as an Ohio State running back. He played from 2016 to 2018. So I, I think we're re- legitimately down to Barry Bonds and Harmon Killebrew and Vince Carter.
1: I kind of want to pick Harmon Killebrew. I do too. Yeah, let's go Harmon <laughs> Killebrew.
0: I like that. Harmon Killebrew. Let's do it. Okay.
1: That way we're not picking Bonds. Yeah, you
0: can't pick Bonds. You can't pick Bonds.
1: Um, Harmon Killebrew. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's a great name. Right? And I,
1: I love baseball players from that era. There's a there's a famous story, um, quick story, for, for a famous baseball player from that era who, got, who was on the injured list. And what he would do is when he would pitch, he would take his dentures out and put them in his back pocket. And he got on first um, <laughs> while batting and stole second base. And his dentures were in his back pocket and he slid in and... <laughs> <laughs> tore a hole in his fleshly uh, backside and uh, was on the injured list for, for literally uh, biting himself.
0: Baseball players by far have the most entertaining, bizarre reasons for being injured. There's the number of like, you don't see this as much in football or basketball. And it's probably because baseball players often have, it feels like a lot of time on their hands. The game moves more yeah. slowly. They travel the seasons longer and they just end up getting injured with really dumb things. Yeah,
1: and they have something called, what, what is it, the hot foot, where they'll, like, put matches under somebody's foot and light them while they're sitting <laughs> yeah. in the, yeah, you know, it's it's just ridiculous. great things.
0: Yeah. All right, so one thing you liked this week.
1: Yeah, so um, I finished the book, C.S. Uh, C.S. Lewis' book, Abolition of Man, uh, okay. this week. A uh, uh, series of three lectures about uh, virtue in society and, and, uh, absolutes in society. It was, it was it was a very interesting read. Um, it was a series of lectures he gave, three lectures, I believe, um, and uh, yeah, quite quite good.
0: Okay, gotcha. How about you? Well, I'm going to cheat because again, it's our podcast, so we we make the rules, and so I, I'm going to extend it to Father's Day weekend is my one thing, but that had multiple components. So uh, last. Uh, Thursday night into Friday, Kate and I had uh, a visit from our good college friends. Who uh, he is a professor up at Spring Arbor, and uh, his wife uh, also works there. And he was my roommate in college. She was Kate's roommate roommate in college. We were in oh, each other's fun. wedding. Yeah. And what's fun about hanging out with Rich and Lori is the fact that even though we think very differently theologically like if you kind of ran down a checklist of <laughs> of of theological commitments we would be on opposite pages uh, in many places we have the most enjoyable conversations and discussions huh. about those kinds of things about culture about uh, all sorts of things going on in the world and and even when even though we see them essentially once a year we pick right up where we left off and oh, that's great. it's just a a great time with them so very much enjoyed spending time with them. And then uh, this past Sunday was Father's Day. Which you are a father. I, I am. And uh, my wife and kids did a great job of of celebrating that um, and sort of culminating with this scrapbook that they had created hmm. um, that was very meaningful and, and appreciated. So uh, grateful for that. So that's my Father's Day weekend one thing I liked. That's awesome. So, yeah. So yeah. But... I think we are ready to uh, proclaim mission accomplished here. Yeah. Yeah. You episode 25. It? Yeah. Yeah. Episode 25. A quarter of the way to 100. And almost halfway through a year. Yeah. Who'd have thunk? Yeah. We, we initially thought that maybe we would do one every other week. So. We we've started strong. Let's hope we let's hope we can sustain this pace. I think we've we've
1: arrived at a habit. You know, yes. 20, 21 times to form a habit. Yes. You know, we we we've, we've
0: arrived. Yeah. So hopefully the content will uh, sustain us. Yeah. <laughs> as we move forward. But in any case, uh, we're gonna call it mission accomplished. And so uh, until next time, the Lord bless you all real good. Later.